Hi, and welcome to Cameron's Baptist Church Sermons Podcast. We hope you're blessed by today's message. I want you to think about how God saved you, as Jim pointed this morning. When was the day that you realized that you needed Jesus in your life? Whatever struggles, whatever circumstances you go through, there is nothing to compare with the blessings and with the glory that God has reserved for each one of us on the day that He will come and take us home. But until then, He has given us a task to do. A very simple task. Straightforward command. It's not easy. I said it's simple, but it's not easy. Don't, you know, don't make a mistake thinking that simple things are easy. Are simple to understand. But there is a promise. He said, I will be with you to the end of the ages. Has the age finished already? So that he's still here. But one of the conditions of his presence is as if we go and make disciples. That's the condition. Therefore, go and make disciples and I will be with you to the end. In other words, is I will be with you all the way through. Whenever you go out to make disciples, I'll be there. In other words, actually, he's go ahead of us. Because when we get there, he has already prepared the atmosphere, the place, the person, the heart. Because the work is not ours. The work is, is his. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And I also want to call your attention this morning to be aware this year, as I said, we're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, actually the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the only way we have to be able and enabled to do God's work. Without His power, without His Spirit, we are nothing. Without Him, we are nothing. So as we take communion this morning, also remember, this is a table set, is an invitation for sinners. For sinners who know they are sinners and they need a savior. And they need to repent. And as we do, as you think of yourself, as you examine yourself this morning, the Bible tells us to examine ourselves. Before we take the cup, before we take the bread, let's make a commitment with, you know, with ourselves. Every year we do have our... Um, Covenant, we say our covenant together. Hopefully, we will do that next week together. We will repeat our covenant. But I really, really want you to think about it, to pray about it. I'm gonna, if you don't have the covenant with you, we'll send you by email so you can read it. And next week, as you um, repeat with us, you know exactly what you're saying. The Lord doesn't like foolish commitments. We should not make any commitment out of the blue. We need to know what we're doing. Okay? Because God will hold us accountable to, for every word that we say. So let's remember that, shall we? 
So I want to read with you Luke chapter 22. From verse 7. Then came the day of the unleavened bread, in which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. What do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. How Jesus knew that there was a man carrying a jar of water at that exact time? Because this is a divine invitation. It happened exactly, exactly how Jesus, not predicted, as he said it would happen. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house. The teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? The man carrying the jar wasn't the owner of the house either. There was a, there was a task for a servant. But it's when you get there, follow that man so you find the house and then you ask the man of the house. He will soon, or he will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, you see, God works within his time. When the hour came, he brought you this morning here to be blessed. You see, God has control of time. Although he's out of time, he's the Lord of time. Because he's from the beginning. From the beginning, he was already. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. You see, he talks about the kingdom of God twice. About the bread and about the cup. It is the kingdom of God. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays me. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Amen.
Have you ever betrayed the Lord? I had. But God is a forgiving God. Jesus, He forgave us. He restored us. And there is enough grace here this morning to forgive you to whatever happened in your life. So either you must examine yourself. As you examine yourself, ask the Lord to cleanse you. And I would like to invite those who are going to distribute the elements of the supper with me and come and help me out. Uh, Manuel, Emmanuel does. He's over there. Noel. Huh? Okay. Um, new era. A new challenge. But with an assurance that God has placed a calling over our lives, upon our lives, and we are to honor Him in everything we do. May God be glorified in our lives. Genesis chapter 39. It's alright, as long as it's quiet, don't, it doesn't bother me. Just look at me, don't look at the beautiful boy. Is he? I know he's more pleasant to look at, but uh, forget, look at my ugliness. But uh, Genesis chapter 39. When Joseph, from verse 1, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelites, traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. In those days, the most powerful nation um, in the world. The Lord was with Joseph. That's the point. The Lord was with Joseph. So, he succeeded in everything he did, and he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. You see, even Potiphar, a pagan, noticed that the Lord was with Joseph. It is impossible to be different when we know and we notice the presence of God in somebody's life. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's house and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. You see, when the Lord is with you, God will bless where you are. Because it's God's presence. So don't blame your boss. Blame yourself. Right? Don't blame the company that you work in. Blame yourself. Ask God for mercy. Because the Lord blessed where Joseph, the house of Potiphar for Joseph's sake. And God will bless anybody for your sake. Because of his presence is with you. So Potiphar gave... So, uh, uh, sorry, go back a bit. Um, 
All his household's affair runs smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. Listen, even the crops, what does Joseph have to do with the crops? Did Joseph make rain? Did he make it somehow? He, did he have any power over the nature? No, but God did. Because God blessed him because of Joseph. Because God was with Joseph. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing. Except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. To look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a thing, such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. As you know, the rest of the story, she kept pushing, pushing. And what happened to Joseph? He ended up in jail because he refused all the advances of this woman against him. So it's just uh, to lay down the basis of my message this morning. I want you to think about the life of Joseph. How many of you are familiar with the life of Joseph? But I'm not going to read it all. You're all familiar with it. You know, some call him the prince of Egypt. And then I may touch a little bit more later on, on the story. But we are in an exciting time in our history when the front lines of missionary work have come to our doorsteps. I was sharing with Jim this morning. Many people in the UK today have never been to church. Nor have they heard anything but the most extreme and trivial presentation of the gospel coupled with scandals and a lot more nonsense. God have mercy on us this morning as we share his word. Father, we commit this time to you. Once again, ask for your mercy, for your grace, your direction, and for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to anoint every word that will touch the hearts of those who are listening to me here today and those who will be listening in the future. This message being recorded. Holy Spirit of God, have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our mission, or our mission field, is right here at our doorstep. We can no longer pretend that the real work of mission is elsewhere. Connecting the unchanging gospel with the changing world around us is always a challenge and it will remain a challenge. It is what lies at the heart of thinking theologically like any other local church here in this district or any, anywhere else in the country. We will have to face up some stretching issues on the coming days, especially within the Baptist ranks. We head into a new year 
at a time of turmoil in the West, where all the politics, all this agenda that we have seen so far, but also in the Middle East, with the wars going on, and also in other places, Burma, and, and, and if, you, if you look at now, South Korea, North Korea, in, the, in, in, in tension. So everywhere is going on. Media-saturated people are every day more addicted to devices in the palm of their hands. Especially among the young people, the young generation. And a specialist says that should be no screen for children before the age of four. Why? There is a reason for it. It does not help them to learn. It's actually blocked them somehow, emotionally, because they are attached to those things and forget to be attached to people. And we're creating some dysfunctional children today. You know, the dominating Western worldview of the past few hundred uh, years called the Enlightenment Project. I don't know if you heard of it. Based on a belief in human reason and progress. We know it is collapsing around us. And then we have the other one called postmodernism. Is one unhelpful name given to the current situation, barely disguising the fact that nobody knows what to call it anymore or what to do with it. However, Western Christians are affected by this. But on the other hand, God is looking for servants, for vessels to use People who allow God to use them and they would forget everything else. What is more important in your life today? You may have your plans. You may have your schedule. You, you may have your, your, your day-to-day list to do. And you're so pragmatic about it or you're so um, picky about it. And you can't really allow one thing to go wrong. Oh, 7 o'clock must happen this and 8 o'clock this and then I have this and this and that. You plan your life so meticulously that you forget to live time for God and for the things of God do you love Jesus do you love his bride how can you love Jesus and do not love his bride his church you do anything else but sacrifice yourself for the bride of Christ you may find comfort and pleasure in doing other things rather than to be Together. You know, for too long, Christians in the West have tried to build their faith in the basic principles of the Enlightenment, seeing their beliefs as rational and a matter of a private choice. Where facts were for public debate, but values were for personal morality or a private matter. You see, I don't understand why. When you ask somebody about their faith in Christ, they say, well, my faith is a private matter. How can it be a private matter? 
I don't understand how your faith could be a private matter. Your beliefs could be a private matter. No. They quickly jump into this, oh, my faith is personal, is between me and God. No, it is not. I'm sorry, it is not. Your faith is not a private matter. And when I, when people say that to me, I say, really? So explain to me, how is it possible? Can you explain me the words of Peter? First Peter chapter 3 verse, verse 15. The apostle offers encouragement to faithful Christian at the time says, always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks for your reason, for the reason of your hopes. What is it? Rather than tell me about your faith. Why do you hope you have hopes? So in the following verse, Peter teaches that they, you know, their evangelization be tempted with gentleness and respect and delivered with a clear conscience. But it's not a private matter here. Is it? Maybe this is this, this is kind of clear conscious bit that probably <laughs> avoids them to, to talk about their faith because it's not a private matter unless you have your conscience not that clear. Evangelism was seen as partly a matter of persuading people how reasonable it was to be a Christian and so on and so forth. And Christianity often got tangled up with how to be a good person and then play a constructive role in society. We have become so much charitable. Huh? We become like a charitable minded people and many have neglected to share the gospel of God which is the power that the gospel has to save and transform people's lives. Because God is not only interested in your body, but also in, especially in your soul. What is good for you to have a fit body, nice and chubby like mine, and then go to hell, and have your soul burning in hell? Well... The gospel of God changed lives. The cross of Christ is not a merely symbol that people make it when they are scared. God have mercy. You know, I've seen those people. When I, I saw many times on the road, when you see a, 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 a hearse passing by with a, with a coffin inside, people, oh, huh? I'm glad it's not me. <laughs> and when they're scared all around, or carry a cross on their neck, Maybe it could be an empty cross, whatever. But the cross of Christ is not a merely symbol. But it's the place where Christ died for our sins. And where every man's old nature must end. But remember, the cross is empty, so is the tomb. Because the sacrifice was already made. And he's already rose from the dead. It's only because this image is... Um, you know, of the cross is so familiar to the Westerns, the Westerners, that they find it difficult to die for their for their old nature. Oh, this is nothing to do with me. You know, as long as Christ can die so many times in their cross, so I can live a good life. You know, that may continue to think that is something that Christ should continue to do in order for them to have a, a 
a happy life here on earth. They want to keep the status quo, come to church, and be the same. Remain the same. Day after day, Sunday after Sunday, come listen to the word of God and goes unchanged. But let me tell you something, the Holy Spirit of God cannot and will not put up with this for too long. Because God is a patient God, we know. He's long in his is long suffering. <laughs> but he won't suffer you forever. That's the word of God says. One day we will all be at the judgment seat of God. We will all. The gospel is in essence, listen to this, about how impossible it is to be a good person. I repeat myself. Exactly what I'm saying. The gospel is in essence about how impossible it is to be a good person. And that faith is never a matter of private beliefs. The gospel is about me, as Christ saying, without me you can do nothing. Jesus said that. The gospel is about Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the world needs to know that. If the gospel is not that I'm a good person, that I'm a Christian because I want to be a good person. No, I, am, I do good things because I am saved by Christ. Because it is impossible to be good without Him. You can try. I tried. I failed miserably. Now, evangelism is about people being encountered with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I should add that evangelicals today desperately need biblical theology of, you know, of evangelism, which goes beyond methods, goals of evangelism. And, and evangelism is much more than lift your hand and give your life to Christ. Evangelism is to have a personal experience with Christ himself and be Christ-minded, Christ-like. So the challenge of all Christians is how to accept the benefits of, 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 of the collapse of modernity without sliding into chaos of this post-modernity thing. I don't know if this, this talk is familiar to you, but anyway, I strongly believe that only... The only way ahead is to focus on individuals, is on one-to-one -one base. And, and I really want to ask you to come along, tag along somebody and help them to grow in Christ Jesus. It's the one-to-one -one approach on evangelism and on discipleship. And I would like to encourage all of you, especially this year, if you are, how many of you are members of Come Rose? Raise your hand, you're here today. Okay, so I would really love you to be part of a small group this year. I would like to encourage you to do that. Get to know each other, pray for each other, support each other, be accountable to one another. Help somebody. And I will also encourage you to, as much as you can, do it face to face. So what is the next step then? So let me tell you, God waste no opportunity 
Doesn't matter how it is. God does not wait an opportunity to teach you, to bless you. Everything that happens in your, in our lives happens with a purpose. And the purpose of this is always to make us more like Christ. Now, um, oh, you, you, you thought I forgot. Let me come to Joseph now. You know, it is to look at situation and circumstances that we should see them as an opportunity to allow God to use it like he did with Joseph. What did Joseph do to deserve all that he got? You may ask my Lord, oh, Pastor, I've, you know, I've been serving the Lord for so many years and I always got this, you know, people come against me, I go through hard times, especially every time I try to do God's work, things get worse for me. So what? Have you ever been sold as a slave? Have you? I don't think you did. Joseph has become a man of God in a society without God. What about you and me? Have we shown the world or where we are that we have a God in heaven that saves, delivers, and heals? We are are standing for God in the midst of a society that does not believe and trust God anymore. The recent uh, pause in the, the recent research shows that very much in this very country called a Christian country, which more of than half of the population don't believe in God anymore, and the other half don't come to church or don't serve God or do not have a life that reflect Jesus Christ as Lord and, and Savior of their lives. And I could say, as I said here before, without any uh, uh, um, Worried to make a mistake. Only 5%, if I'm being generous here, of the population of the United Kingdom are Holy Ghost filled, born again Christians. We are facing challenges every day. We face trials and tribulations and temptations every day. Believe it or not, Accept it or not, we are in a spiritual warfare every moment of our lives. How do we cope with the stress, temptation, disappointment, success, and bitterness? Joseph tells us how to overcome all these challenges. You know, when we look at the life of Joseph, we can see how God used him to be an instrument of blessing that resound or affected all of us. All of us until today. He overcame treachery. You know, one of the worst things for you to go through is a treachery, isn't it? Especially because normally you are betrayed by somebody that you love. Your enemy cannot betray you. But your friends can. And he will always be betrayed by a friend. What an enemy can do if he betrays you is not a betrayal. It's just an act of an enemy, but an act of a friend. Now an act of somebody from their own family. As you see here. Now he was sold as a slave by his own brothers. (laughs) But we know the end of the story anyway. and, And he said this. At the end of his life. 
or, or actually at the end of the encounter with his brother, what you meant for evil, God turned for good. Imagine how painful must have been at the age of 17. Not only to have been torn from his family and sold into slavery, but have his family do it. His own brother do it to him. How easy it would be to become embittered and hated filled like his brothers were. But that didn't happen to Joseph. All we see is like if we want to like the Hollywood end of film, right? One day they, they sell into slavery and then you, you go on a hunt for, for, for revenge. And then you see all then miserably destroyed. You see now I'm in power and I'll either send you to prison or, 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 or you're doomed. How easy would that have been to be embittered? But imagine if you didn't know the end of Joseph's story. And would you be saying the same thing to the very people that betrayed you in that way? Be honest. God is looking for such people to serve and to lead in his kingdom. People who are not looking at the present moment of their suffering. People who the mark of their lives is what says in Genesis 39 verse 2. You know, I'm not going to tell uh, the whole story again, as I said, of Joseph today. But uh, I would like to highlight a few things about his life and ministry and see what we can grasp and learn from it. So, first of all, he overcame treachery. What about us? Have you ever been betrayed by somebody? Have you forgiven that person already? I have. I have been betrayed. I have been actually used. And lost a lot of things. Got into a situation that wasn't for me to be there in that situation. After all I've done. All I've served. But as I did, but I'm not like, I'm not Joseph. I'm not comparing myself to Joseph at all. But I have forgiven that person. And let me tell you, God has given me back. The things God has given me back. But also, what I have learned from it has no value. It's precious. Joseph was sold to Potiphar. As I said, Potiphar was the captain of the guard. He was like the defense minister of Pharaoh, right? He was in charge of his defense, of his protection. What we know is that Potiphar was wealthy enough to have many servants and slaves, and now he have just added uh, Joseph to his collection. Joseph distinguished himself as a young man of skill and ability, but it became clear that those talents were not of Joseph himself. Because Genesis chapter 39 verse 2 gives us the real key. It says that the Lord was with Joseph. Is the Lord with you? How so? Although he was far from home, the presence of God 
was very real in his life. Every time you go away from this place, God is with you. Is it? Back in, back in. Sorry, thanks. Anyway, so he could not help but recognize the presence of God in the life of, of Joseph. You know, how powerful is the presence of God in your life? Enough to impact other people's lives? Imagine how strong Joseph's testimony had been for Potiphar. Was a pagan man, as I said, but he attributed his cleverness or whatever it is of Joseph that Joseph had to God. You see? To God. Is my testimony strong enough to cause people to fear God and recognize him as God? Or just I'm a fanatic? I'm a lunatic Baptist. No. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Joseph was content in the presence of God. Even though he was not in an easy position. So much so that how grateful and joyful are we for the trials and tribulations we are going through. You may be going through a, a time of illness. But God has your hand. He's holding you. This young man, godly character, was continued to be shaped so much so that now he's got his Potiphar's wife on top of him. I'm sure his wife wasn't an ugly woman. A man of his power would not marry a monster. I'm sure he would not marry somebody. Anyway, I'm not going to name. But have you heard of a fury of a woman scorned? Joseph lived it. He was ruled by principles, but she was ruled by passion. And when she was rejected, her passions exploded in anger. She had her own strategy. What was it? It was revenge. Joseph was lied about to the men of the house. It is verse 13 to verse 15. The second time a coat has been used in a lie about Joseph. You know, when he ran away, she grabbed his coat and kept it. To say, well, he, is, he was here. Joseph was lied about to Potiphar. Joseph was imprisoned again and again. It was undeserved. Joseph ended up in jail doing the right thing. Have you been persecuted by doing the right thing, preaching the gospel. But our responsibility, listen to this, our responsibility is to do right and live the consequences to God. Why? Because he's got grace, enough grace for us to go through. And the Bible says, once again, he found comfort in the presence of God, even there in prison now. Now, Joseph punished by men, and honored by God, once again he triumphs as he succeeds in prison. He now becomes a guy who holds the key of the cell for everybody. Now he then meets these guys at the prison and he 
they, they, these people had a dream and then he interpreted his dreams and he tells him, but listen, when you're there, don't forget me. He was forgotten. Almost 13 years have passed. Imagine being forgotten that much. Being forgotten in prison. But the day came when God honored him. The promise God made Joseph 13 years earlier had now come full circle to the eyes of men. It may appear about 13 years late in arriving, but God is always on time. But in the sovereign plan, God is always right on time, never late, not a millisecond. The ultimate lesson Joseph had learned through slavery, imprisonment, was mistreatment, and it was that God was in control, not him. He will do what he says, and he's in charge. That was Joseph's theme in his life. The dream, his dream was answered. Pharaoh now appointed Joseph to oversee the food supply of all Egypt. Why? He was a man in whom the Spirit of God was resting upon. He was a man who had the presence of God. In verse 38. Let me see if I can read it for you. Of. What's the chapter? Maybe 40. Chapter 39. No. Starting to say, I don't want you to say. Okay. Well, I'll go. I'll, I'll skip this one for the moment. But anyway, this gives us another principle to consider. The qualification of a true leader is not a merely physical, they are spiritual. A, a principle that a qualification of a true disciple of Christ is, is spiritual, not physical. It is not just about talent or skill. You can be as talented or as skillful as you can be. But it's about the character and your relationship with God. The key character qualities of a great Leader or a disciple of Christ are internal, not external. It is about knowing God, not with being great. And now the last lesson he learns, or at least he teaches us, is how he, became, he overcame bitterness. Imagine now you are face to face to those who have sold you into slavery. So what do you do? So in Joseph's story, it is certainly hard to visualize him as a victim at this point, right? Isn't it? But he was now the second most powerful man on earth. And he had absolute control over the destinies of millions of people. Including his brothers who sold him out to the Ishmaelites. Into slavery years earlier. Now, he sensed that his brothers had changed. Because when he, meet, when he meets them now, he, he doesn't see the same brothers that he met when they sold him or when they sold him to slavery. Now what he does, when he does sense that there was a change there, then he exercises mercy 
and forgiveness. The evidence was there. They were truly changed. They were changed to men. And I say, sometimes people talk, oh, what about that person? I never listen, God can change anybody. Changed me, he can change anyone. Only God has the power to change people's lives. So we cannot say, because somebody acted towards you like that, he will never change. Oh, repeatedly do that, he will never change. No, God can change people. Now we see in verse four, in chapter 44, that Joseph, there is a plea for mercy here. Notice that the difference in the attitude years before. Now his brothers, there is a plea for mercy. And then forgiveness resolved the issue of guilt. Because now they are feeling so guilt all these years. Because they sold Joseph into slavery. They have no idea what Joseph were about, his whereabouts. Now they come face to face with the second most powerful man on earth. Now they are in front of the one that they sold into slavery. They said, oh, oh God, now I'm doomed. He's going he's to do the same to us. No, they pled for mercy. They found mercy because Joseph was a man of God. Forgiveness have lifted that issue of guilt, of guilt over them. God's forgiving grace not only heals, but wipes away the past and the pain. And I want to have a word for you this morning. I said, I don't know how your past has affected you lately. Or whatever you, you have experienced in the past. Today, God has the power to forgive you. Of course, we cannot confuse forgiveness and allow continuous abuse. That's not what we, we need to... He can be forgiven, but he has to be firm towards that abuse and put a stop to it. But if you were abused before, and then you need to release forgiveness, today is the time. Because you will not be able to come on at the end of 2024 as God wants you to be if you're still harboring unforgiveness in your heart. Joseph had overcome, have overcome all these things, particularly the potential bitterness that would have seemed so normal in his case. And I'm just give a very uh, up, update example, and I'm about to finish. What if he, you would sell your sister to for those human traffic people? You do it. How, how would you feel yourself if you have at least a decency, a little bit of, of conscience in your, in your mind, you would feel guilty for the rest of your life, not knowing what will happen to her? But here, Joseph is ex exemplified grace, giving full forgiveness and no revenge. He exemplified love, discarding the wrongs of the past for the compassion of the present. He exemplified faith, trusting that God would preserve him from the bitterness that leads to self-destruction. That's what bitterness does. In Genesis 50, 20, 
We read the Joseph's final words of his brothers, what I said at the beginning. These, uh, they are a capsule of life, of I think it's his life view. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about us. It is this day to save many people's lives. You know, this amazing perspective reflected a life that had the life that he had embraced. The living God that he knew and he trusted. And he trusted him completely. And I want you to stand with me this morning. If you have never confessed your sin and trusted Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. If you want more information about Camrose Baptist Church, visit our website, www.camrosebc.org.uk. Follow us on Instagram at Camrose Baptist Church and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Camrose Baptist Church Edgeware. Thank you.